0: Welcome to the Beach Catholic Podcast with Father Brian Barr. This week, Father Greg Renazizi filled in for Father Brian, so in this episode, you'll have the opportunity to listen to the Gospel and Father Greg's homily from this past Sunday. As always, keep an eye out for our Q and A and discussion episodes. But until then, here's the homily from June eleventh, two thousand seventeen, the Solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity.
1: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise you. Lord Jesus First, I just want to introduce myself for those I haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet. My name is Father Greg Renizzi, and uh, I always feel like I'm coming home when I come to St. Mary's. Um, I was here for a while as a seminarian, and um, When Bishop uh, Brennan was here as pastor, and now Father Brian, uh, I've been coming back a lot, so it's great to see a lot of familiar faces, and I always just really love coming back to this parish, especially on a great evening like this. So today we celebrate the the solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity. Anyone who's ever studied theology, like on the graduate level, would, would have absolutely had to take a course on the Trinity. It's usually one of the first courses that you do take, because it's most fundamental. It lays out some of the most basic principles of our faith, the fact that we believe in one God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And at first glance, especially for us who are lifelong Christians, it seems pretty simple. One God, three persons. We learn that when we're small, so pretty simple. But it's actually not so simple. Anyone who's studied the Trinity in length knows that it's, Probably one of the hardest classes that you'll ever take when you're studying theology. Because while it seems simple, at first, again, there's a lot of technical language that goes into it. There are some very precise terms in order to protect the integrity of this idea that there is only one God, that we don't believe in different gods. There's one true God. And that God has manifested himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who are equal, who always were, and always will be. So, again, at first it seems kind of simple, but when you start to unpack it, especially as you look at the, the history of this teaching, it can get a bit complicated. So, usually in a course in the Trinity, you start with looking at, well, how does God reveal himself in the Old Testament? How does he kind of prefigure this idea of the Trinity? And of course, you look at Jesus himself and how he talks about his relationship to the Father, that he and the Father are one. In, He only speaks what he hears the Father tell him. And that he will send the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will come from the Father. So we hear all this discussion of the Trinity from Jesus himself. Then, of course, we hear from St. Paul, who makes up a bulk of the New Testament. And we kind of see how he speaks about the Trinity. And then you start to look at the early fathers of the church. And you go century by century, and there are these great gatherings of bishops called councils. And the first few really had a lot to do with this idea of, well, what do we believe in? Do we believe in one God or do we believe in three gods? Is Jesus equal to the Father? Is the Spirit equal to the Son? So again, long story short, it can get rather complicated. I remember when I took the course on the Trinity in seminary. It was my first semester and I was studying uh, in Rome, so my classes were all in Italian. So right there was a little hard, a little challenging. And uh, I had a professor who none of you would know, uh, Father Luis Ladaria, a name that means nothing (laughs) to anyone, um, but just to give you an idea of his pedigree, his experience, by the time I was ordained a few years later, after taking his course, he wasn't just Father Luis Ladaria, he was now Archbishop Luis Ladaria. He got a job at the Vatican in the teaching office, that is, the Congregation for the Faith, that... Kind of is the the religious ed office, if you will, for the church. Kind of oversees and makes sure that you know we're staying on track with what we believe. Just to further that idea, you know who he replaced there was a name you might remember, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI. So Pope Benedict handpicked this guy, Luis Ladaria, to replace him in this office, and he's my professor in the hardest class in Italian. Thanks very much. Thank you. One of my friends um, actually took his bibliography that he gave us. He was handing it out, and there was about 150 of us in the class, and he was handing out these packets, and we thought it was a packet for the row. (laughs) It was a packet per person. Ten point font, single space, about six pages. My friend actually went through and added up the number of pages that he suggested that we read in order to have an elementary understanding of the Trinity. We stopped counting after 8,000 pages. I'm not even kidding you. And all of this comes down to one exam with the professor in person, an oral exam, for about 10 to 15 minutes, wherein he can ask you anything from the course. Again, thanks very much Church for giving me that. Again, it was just a nerve-wracking experience. I got through it, and I did well, and most of us did do well. It's a lot of work, but you get through it. And so amid all these terms, amid all this technical language and jargon, which is important, I'm not belittling it, it is really important, because anything worth believing, anything worth giving your life for, you should be precise about, you should investigate, you should ask questions. But at the end of the day, I think the simplest definition or the simplest way of understanding God comes to us from St. John. Not in his gospel that we just heard, but actually in one of his letters or epistles that he wrote. He said very simply, God is love. That's it. God is love. And I know at first I can sound a little hippie, you know, all you need is love, God is love. But it's actually quite precise and quite theological and deep when you consider it. Because God is love means God is a relationship. God doesn't have relationships the way you and I do. He is a relationship, a perfect relationship. St. Augustine, some centuries after Jesus, got this idea and kind of teased it out really well, I think. He said, it, when we say God is love, what we are implying is this first, there has to be a lover. Someone who's doing the loving. He says that's the Father. There has to be a beloved, someone who receives that love. We call that the Son. And then there's this energy, this force, we might even say now this chemistry between the two that radiates back and forth, and that's the Holy Spirit. One God, one perfect relationship consisting of a lover, the beloved, And that energy, that force, between them. God is love. And God is a relationship. And you and I have been made in the image and likeness of God. So we actually reflect that relationship in ourselves and with each other. I mean, think about it. What makes up a human being? Well, first, we have a body. Second, we have an intellect which also comprises our will. And we have a heart. We have emotions. Three distinct facets, each of which is necessary and powerful, that are meant to be in a relationship. We actually mirror God in being a relationship ourselves. But even further, we're meant to be in meaningful, powerful relationships with each other. So we have deep friendships, lifelong friendships. We have people that we come to know and people who we say, I love you. Think about that for a second. Who do you say, I love you, to? I I imagine spouses, family. Which close friends do you say intentionally, I love you? There's something powerful in that. That means there's there's a particular relationship, a particular energy there. Yesterday, I did a wedding in the afternoon. I've done a lot of weddings. And in preparing for this weekend and this feast day, something struck me that I I just had never realized, or at least I'd never heard clearly. I was doing a wedding rehearsal on Friday night. And I get to the part, I have the bride and groom there, and the people are all sitting in the pews like you are, and they really can't hear me at this point because I'm not mic'd up. So I'm really just talking to the bride and groom, and the best man, the maid of honor can kind of overhear me. So I explained to them how we'll do the vows. You know, I ask them a few questions, and then they turn to each other, and they recite their vows. I say them, and they repeat them to each other. Because they're marrying each other. I don't do it. They're marrying and making their vows to each other. I just get to witness it. So after that part's over, I said, I'll turn over here. I'll ask the best man for the rings. We'll place them on a dish. I'll bless them, and then I'll give you her ring. And when you put it on her finger, you'll say... Nancy, take this ring as a sign of my love and fidelity in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then she does likewise. Receive this ring as a sign of my love and fidelity in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You know, that's why the church holds up that sacred bond of marriage, that sacramental bond as the best representative of God's love for us, for you, and for me, and for all of humanity. Because two people are freely giving their lives, giving their energy, their all, to another person exclusively and powerfully. And the sign, the symbol of that bond, is a ring, which doesn't have a beginning or an end. It's, in a sense, eternal. And we give it to a spouse in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You can't get any more of a profound relationship than that. You can't get anything closer to actually getting the Trinity that is God himself than that exchange of rings, of vows, of lives. Receive this ring in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here's just another quick image. A few years ago, uh, I was babysitting my sister's older boy. Her and her uh, husband were out doing some errands. I was off. She asked if I could stay with him. I said absolutely. It was a great time. So I was there for a few hours, and you know he was he was small. He was a you know an infant, uh, maybe five six months. You know, a little little tyke, And you know, I'm playing with him. We're hanging out and stuff. And at one point, I remember I was holding him in one arm and I was just rinsing a glass uh, under the sink with my other hand. And so I don't, I don't know why, but he was just sitting there. He was in a good mood. He was kind of, you know, smiling and stuff. And I just, just very instantly just swept his little feet through the stream of water. And he just lit up with joy. Like this was the greatest thing that had ever happened. So I just did it again. And again, and again, he just lit up with this big, gummy smile and laughed. And it was just the most amazing, heartwarming thing. What is water at its most basic level? Scientists will tell us. It's two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. Two molecules of hydrogen linked by a breath of air. That is oxygen. And when we get passed through that, when we experience love in a reciprocal, powerful, selfless way, then we can't help but be like my little nephew Noah and light up with joy and excitement. Because when we experience love, we experience God. And we're called to be like God, to love like God, to be in powerful, meaningful relationships that reflect Him. Think of all the capacities that you have, all the different hats, you might say, that you wear. We're parents. We're children. We're siblings. You're probably a friend and a co-worker or a classmate. You're a citizen. You're a professional. All these different hats that we wear. And in each one, we're meant to be like God and forge meaningful, powerful relationships. To be God to others and experience God through them. And we're meant to do it like God. To fulfill our role of being made in His image and likeness. And think about it. One of the first things we learn as little kids in Catholic school or in religious ed or from our parents, most likely was the sign of the cross. The simplest, the first, and the best prayer we could ever say. And one day, please God, many, many, many years from now, when each of us is called home to God in the sleep of death, when we're laid to rest, the last thing that will be said over us by the priest is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And every moment between those two, when we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and when we're buried in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, every moment in between, we're meant to be like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's why this feast is so important. Because it reminds us who we are, whose we are, and who we're called to be. That's why the Church, for 2,000 plus years, has continually echoed, Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's homily. Once again, keep an eye out for our discussion and our Q&A episodes. Don't forget, if you've got a question for Father Brian, you can send an email to beachcatholicpodcast at gmail.com or you can connect with us at facebook.com slash beachcatholicpodcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast by downloading the iTunes app for iPhones and the Stitcher app for all other devices. And as always, please share with your loved ones. We'll be back next week, and until then, God bless.